This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. The goal is to make this a November to remember on the Scoop Podcast. Hello, everyone. It is Scoop Podcast episode 107 being taped on Monday evening, the 6th of November. We'll pretty much go all interviews here on episode 107. May drop in the occasional nugget or two. Then later in the week, I'll do a news and notes podcast with also an interview I did on Friday, a TV interview with Ryan Carter, former wild player. The pride of White Bear Lake, Minnesota State Mankato. He was really good on retirement, what he's doing now, and actually going hunting. He actually got to experience his first deer hunting opener. He's been busy typically in early November going back many, many years. So it was a fun conversation with Ryan Carter that I conducted late last week. The idea will be on episode 108 to bring you that conversation. We'll start episode 107 with Brian Windhorst of ESPN. He does a fantastic job covering the NBA. We'll get a national perspective on the Wolves. We'll ask him about Eric Bledsoe, Jalil Okafor, whatever else pops into my mind. Then we'll go with Wolves owner Glenn Taylor and Twins GM Thad Levine. The latter two were guests of mine on 1500 ESPN on Monday morning, but I get it. Not everybody consumes the Mackie and Judd hour-by-hour podcasts, so I'll put those interviews in this Scoop podcast episode. As always, we thank Vine Park Brewing, vinepark.com online, Vine Park Brewing in St. Paul for helping sponsor the Scoop podcast. They keep this podcast going. They've been keeping the taste buds of those who enjoy beer going for a long time. Vine Park Brewing has been around for 22 years. Trust me, you have a really good product if you've been around for 22 years. They're in St. Paul on West 7th Street between 35E and downtown St. Paul. Closer to 35E, swing in, grab a growler. They will have a flavor that you enjoy. Or for 7 bucks, go in, see how they make their beer, make their wine, make their root beer. That $7 gets you that tour. It gets you a flight or a pint plus Hagee's Pizza. So if you're into the local beer scene, seeing how somebody like Vine Park Brewing makes their beer, $7 get you a tour, get you beer, get you pizza. That's a pretty darn good deal. For more information, be sure to check them out at vinepark.com. All right, let's get to Brian right now. Brian, we always like to get the national perspective on the local team, so we'll start there with the Wolves, 7-3, and 7-1 and one when Jimmy Butler plays. You know, maybe it's been a favorable schedule so far. I know you watch them a good amount from afar. What do you see so far through these first 10 games? Well, they've been really good on offense. Mm-hmm. Um, shot the three-pointer really well. Um, Jamal Crawford is making his threes right now. Um, he looks better than I thought he did. Um, you know, last year you talked to some scouts. They thought he finally lost this, but he lost the step. But he's he's really been good for them off the bench, and um, you know they're getting great scoring up and down the lineup. Wiggins is, even though his scoring I think is a little bit down from last year, he looks just like such a dynamic player. And he's he's so good at getting to the foul line. And that's one of the Wolves' great advantages is um, they get to the line a lot. And um, they also don't foul at the other end. So they have a great um, discrepancy or, or uh, differential in free throws that they take versus their opponents. Um, I'm alarmed that they're not better on defense. Um, I'm with you, yes. They, they, I mean, I just don't understand it. I keep <laughs> I just keep waiting for it to happen, and I know that, it's not because of coaching. Uh, you know, one of my favorite things to do when I watch a Wolves games is to watch the Tibbs hand. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. The the, the shaking right hand that uh-huh. he goes through. It's, it's you know, I know the faster it is, the more the more the harder he's coaching defense. I, I don't know why they're not better defensively. I just don't. Um, but you know, they've won a couple of close games. Um, I watched the game against the uh, the Thunder that they won that great game. They stole that one. <laughs> but they were owed it. They had some bad karma over the years. They were owed a couple like that. And then the game in um, in Miami that I watched, I mean... Um, yeah, we were texting you know, in that. Yeah, it was the one in Miami. Yeah, last Monday. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like, they couldn't stop them down the stretch. Like, they literally couldn't get a stop. And, uh, you know, Waiters almost threw in the shot at the buzzer. But, I mean, I, I you know, I give them credit. They are doing what they need to do to win those games. And, you know, so... Um, I'm happy with where they are. This is kind of the team I thought they'd have last year, but um, they've been better than I thought they would be offensively and worse than I have when I thought they were defensively. So, um, But I'm glad to see them taking strides. I mean, this is an organization that I don't have to tell your listeners 
um, they have a lot of um, hurdles they have to go through uh, before they get to the where they can you know maybe go with this roster. And so, even having ten good games to start the year is uh, is a great step for them. I will say, I mean, it's a relatively small sample size. So you talk about ten games. Jimmy Butler misses two of those ten, and you look at what Indiana did, what Detroit did. Those two games. So the defensive numbers are skewed somewhat. But here's what's surprising. I thought at some point here, I thought at the beginning of this year, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Brian, would start to play some defense. Those two guys are still horrible defensively. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, you know, Carl, Carl, he doesn't, you know, he may not ultimately end up being a great defender because, you know, he, he's, you know, even though he moves really well and even though you, you know, at times you feel good about him, um, you know, switching out into guards because, you know, his ability to move his feet. I mm-hmm. mean, ultimately, I, I think he can be a really successful player without being a lockdown defender. Wiggins, you are paying what you're paying him because you think he can be a great two-way player. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and it's just like, why won't he rebound, right? Like, why won't a guy who's 6'8", who can jump like that, who has incredibly long arms, why won't he rebound? Why won't he play better defense? I don't know. It's a mystery. But he is doing a lot of things to help them win. So um, I'm sure Tibbs has um, ripped his hair out over it. Um, you're right. Um, those two games in that back-to-back, that terrible back-to-back where they gave up all those points, um, you know, maybe that's weighing them down. But I still think they're like in the bottom two or three in um, field goal percentage defense. And the reason you give up – easy field goals is because you don't contest shots. And with all the long arms that the, that the uh, Wolves have, them not contesting shots should not be acceptable. And a lot of times other teams get free looks. And so it's got to get better. They're not going to be ultimately a successful team if they're ranked in the bottom five in defense. And so Tibbs knows that. Um, I'll just wait and watch and see how that goes. I mean, it's fun to nitpick while they're still winning. I mean, heck, do you realize how inept this franchise has been for so long? I mean, how about the numbers right now? I mean, these numbers just blow me away. I mean, I guess I'm reminded. I guess I just didn't think about it. But I'm just blown away by these numbers. Okay, so they're four games over 500 at 7-3. and three. It's the first time they are four games over 500 in 10 years. They have a five-game winning streak, Brian. It's their first five-game winning streak in eight years. Those things are That's hard to imagine. Yeah, it's, one of the, it's also one of the reasons why... This should be a honeymoon season because they're going to be having to jump over a phone book to declare it a success. I mean, they get to the playoffs; it's a huge success for them. Um, but that said, um, everybody in the league knows about their talent now, um, and because we've seen them, uh, you know, play you know pretty damn good at times, um, the expectation level is going to rise. But I think ultimately. Um, considering the last couple of years, I've been banging my head against the wall watching um, Dave and Jim at the end of these games um, come up with creative ways to explain <laughs> what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they're winning these games while they're maybe not at their absolute best is a huge step forward. And I think um, what you just said illustrates why that's um, you know, a really good thing for the organization. I really like Jeff Teague. I mean, I guess, wink, wink, I guess the Wolves knew what they were doing, agreeing to terms with him about a second after free agency started. Well, he shot the ball better than I thought he would. Another guy that I've been pleasantly surprised with how good his offense has been. Um, So I, you know, believe that he's, you know, one thing I'll say about Teague, you know, I've watched him a lot in the playoffs. I I covered a couple of Atlanta series. Um, I liked him early in his career. I thought he had, he had great quickness. Um, you know, he, he plays with great pace. And, you know, he's, he's one of these guys that sometimes will do four or five things to help you win a game that don't show up. Um, and he's a great competitor. I mean, he will compete. And so, you know, the contract was a little bit high, but I also recognize in Minneapolis, playing for an organization that hadn't made the playoffs in 14 years, you're going to have to overpay a little bit in free agency. That's why when the Wolves built this team, you had to build the team through the draft, which is which is smart. And so, um, you know, I think it's a it's a good thing. It's like you know having Kyrie um, even show even a little bit of interest um, over the summer when he put the Wolves on the list. I was like, wow, that's a great thing for the Wolves. Um, but you know, you know, I, I'm not so much worried about 
you know, what they spent in free agency. They had to spend money this summer. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, Teague is a type of player who can't advance the ball down the field for you, if I could use a football metaphor. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure he's going to put you in the end zone, but he'll get you between the 20s. And for, an, for a team that has, um, you know, not been in the red zone, how, how, am I, how am I doing with the metaphor, has not been in the red zone in a while, I think um, he's a type of player. I think he's already showing he can be that type of player. Heck, red zone. I mean, heck, they haven't crossed the 50-yard line, Brian. Right, exactly. I mean, 13 exactly. years of, of missing the playoffs is, is hard to fathom. On Kyrie, was, was his interest in Minnesota over the summer genuine? I mean, I got the sense that he was open to a trade to many teams, but was it really just the four that were listed? Well, you know, I think if you look at the uh, – other than New York, which he sort of said is because it was home, he wanted to go play for what he believed was a good coach. And one of the things that's happened in the last few months – since the deal, is that he has taken repeated and pointed shots at Ty Lue, which I'm very surprised about because covering that team the way I did, um, I always felt Ty Lue had his back. Um, and times when people would come after Kyrie for some of his bad habits, Ty Lue repeatedly um, backed him up. And so I'm really surprised that, um, that he's thrown him under the bus a few times, but he has. And when you look at the teams he put on there, you know, Minnesota, uh, Miami, uh, San Antonio, um, he put New York on there. I think that was it. Um, and he ended up hitting the jackpot. Like, you know, I don't – when Kyrie had his press conference after he got traded, he was all smiles. I don't blame him because he could have easily been traded to a place like Phoenix. And instead he ended up at a place that has a great history in a major market with a terrific coach. Um, he hit the jackpot. Now, whether or not that'll lead to long-term success, you know, the jury's still out on that. Um, but, you know, he was looking to play, I think, for a good coach. And so I think he saw the talent with the Wolves, liked it, saw the coach, liked uh, Tibbs. You know, obviously he's gone up against uh, him in the playoffs. Um, so he's, you know, he's gotten a close look. So, um, you, know, I think, uh, you know, I think that bodes well for Kyrie's viewpoint of, you know, Tibbs. Um, it doesn't really get the Wolves anything. Um, but, you know, they uh, definitely are a team, you know, and they were able to, you know, get Jamal Crawford, too. So they've won some, some free agent battles. That's, you know, the stage that they're at because, you know, they shouldn't, you know, now going forward, their draft, they're going to probably be drafting role players as opposed to, you know, core players. I'm sure Kyrie also liked the idea of, of potentially playing with Jimmy Butler. How about Jimmy on Saturday, Brian? Scores only four points. The sense I get, though, is... He doesn't care. Like, I thought he'd come in here, Brian, and, and say, you know what? I'm the alpha dog. I'm getting my 20, 25 points. Carl, Andrew, you guys figure it out. He's deferred completely to those guys. It has really shocked me. Yeah, I think he's only averaging like about 15 points and hasn't seemed like he's had a problem with it. Um, he's getting some credit. I think he likes that he's going to get credit for this. Um, ultimately, we know, and when I say we, I mean, that people who follow the NBA know Jimmy's a great player. He doesn't have to average a certain point threshold for us to know that he's a great two-way player. But ultimately, he's going to be judged on how well the team does. So I think he gets that. And I think that he's not making a big deal about his numbers, at least early on here. we still got a long way to go. I think bodes well for his intention to be committed to the organization for a long time. Um, because if he's more worried about fitting into a role and making the team succeed, um, I think he is, you know, would be more committed to what this goes through. I mean, the classic example to me is Andre Iguodala. You know, Iguodala, mm-hmm. um, you know, came into Golden State, ended up being a transitional player for them, not regarded as one of their best three players. You know, their best three players they drafted, but vitally important to winning their championships. And, you know, I'm not, you know, Jimmy Butler is more in his prime. Iguodala, in my mind, was kind of past his, you know, athletic peak when he came to Golden State. But he was a humongous addition to their team. Um, another guy that uh, it reminds me of a little bit is David West when he came um, as a free agent to, to, um, to Indiana. Um, and if he can play that role, I mean, Andre Iguodala helped elevate that team to championship. David West helped elevate um, the Pacers to um, championship contenders. So um, if he can fill that role, especially because the two great players ahead of him on the team, or you know, at least near his level, are in their early 20s, I mean, I think it's a good business decision. And, you know, if the Wolves are successful and he um, is a part of their success, he's going to get taken care of long-term, just as Andre Iguodala got taken care of long-term by the Warriors. 
Let's talk the rest of the league briefly. How about biggest surprises so far through these first 10-11 games? Well, both the Knicks and the Lakers are better than I thought they would be. I'm with you, um, yeah. Now, it's early, and you know there's some scheduling variance that comes into the fact, but Porzingis has been awesome. And I just want to point out that at one point, you know, whether or not he was directly on the market or not, Phil Jackson was open to trading this guy. And this guy, I mean, his highlights from some of the games over the weekend are breathtaking. When you consider, you forget the guy's seven foot three or seven two or whatever he is. Um, so Porzingis, you know, typically you see a guy in his third year. Quite frankly, it's kind of what I expected out of Wiggins last year. Um, Wiggins put up good numbers. Um, don't get me wrong, but the way I was kind of expecting Wiggins last year to take over games the way Porzingis is taking, because I think they have similar talent. Um, but, um, uh, you know, he's he's been terrific. Um, and obviously I'm surprised by the fact that the Cavs are 4-6. and six. Um, I actually thought coming into the season, I thought they were in a really good place as a team. And uh, their schedule coming out of the gate was really easy. And um, I thought they were going to come out of the gate flying, trying to prove a point. And some of it has been stuff outside their control, which is, you know, LeBron missed the preseason with an injury, um, which stunted them. Then they, Wade came in, and that stunted them. And now they've had some injuries in the regular season, including to Tristan Thompson, who's never missed this much time before. Um, but they've got some serious holes on their roster. They're going to have to be um, managed over the next few months. So um, I'm surp- I'm, I, I mean, I'm not surprised that they are lethargic at times and take bad losses. That's going to be who they are, I think but I'm surprised with how vulnerable that, that, that they've been. One of those four wins was the game you were at on Friday, Cavs-Wizards. How crazy was that game? How about just the way LeBron was scoring? I, I've never seen – it's actually one of the most unique games of LeBron's career because, um, you know, he's had 11 50-point games. I've been at most of them. I think I've maybe been at eight or nine of them. And typically when he has super high-scoring games, it's just when he gets hot in three-point range. Mm-hmm. Like, I know one of the uh, 50-point games he has, he made eight threes. Um, and, you know, when you get super high from three-point, I mean, there was one game he played in Milwaukee where he made threes on, like, four out of five possessions. He scored 55. Uh, I remember that very well. Um, this game, it was all force. And he was working on these, these turnaround moves from the post. He looked like Jordan, like the 34-year-old Michael Jordan, who would get the ball, you know, 12 to 18 feet from the basket and just turn around and, you know, off one leg. He was hitting those shots. He made 14 baskets in the, um, in the restricted area, which is the most he's ever had in his career. And he made um, seven baskets off post-ups, which I didn't get the numbers on. But if it ain't the most he's had in his career, it's second. Wow. <laughs> and so he, made, he scored 57 points, only hit two um, threes, and only made nine free throws. Now, that nine's a lot, but, you know, a guy like LeBron can get to the line, you know, 15, 18 times in a game if he really focuses on it. So, um, you know, I don't know if that was an, a complete outlier game, but when the Cavs struggle for offense, and they are going to do that without Kyrie, especially before Isaiah gets back and whatever he may be, um, he's going to need to remember that he can go into that post and continue to work on that aspect of his game. Because when Jordan's athleticism faded, his second act of his career, his second three-peat, was built on the back of a lot of those post moves. And so if LeBron goes that route, um, and I want to point something out that's crazy, Darren. Um, LeBron tomorrow, Tuesday night, they're going to play the Bucks. Mm-hmm. He's going to tie Jordan for games played. Um, and so you think uh, Jordan obviously had, you know, three years, at uh, Carolina and also had a couple retirements. But Jordan was 40. LeBron is 33, yeah, 32, going to turn 33 in a month. Um, he's got a lot of basketball left in him if he stays healthy. And if he can continue to play like that, and I'm not talking about 50-point games, but I'm talking about you need two points in a game where it's going to be tough and you can give it to him like that, if that's the beginning of him opening that array, um, it's going to be an interesting uh, final act of his career. I mean, I think that's where this is going, don't you think, Brian? That That's not the outlier. This is the LeBron we'll see for the next, who knows? I mean, you know him as well as anybody. Does he play another four, five, six, seven years? Maybe. I mean, I think ultimately, you know, people have been telling LeBron, get your ass in the post for, you know, a decade now. Uh, because they look at him and they say, my God, he's 6'8 and he's huge. And not only that, you know, people don't know this, 
he's actually left-handed. Even though he plays basketball right-handed, he's, he's, he's left-handed. So he's ambidextrous. So he's tremendously skilled um, scoring with both hands. I mean, he is maybe one of the most ideal post players of all time. But he, and so people have said, LeBron, go play in the post. But the problem is LeBron doesn't – LeBron, since he was a kid, was taught – to to play at the top of the floor, mm-hmm. play in pick and roll, and I mean, like he was raised in the game, playing you know out on the out on the court and and creating off the dribble. So, um, yeah, I, I I mean he's got all the ability to do that and extend his dominating his domination window, but at the same time, it's not in his nature. So, you know, we'll see again whether that was a one off performance or whether we see in other big games where he goes back to it. You briefly touched on the Lakers. What about Kyle Kuzma? How about the rookie class as a whole? I don't know if it's a surprise or not, but so many good rookies, including, you know, whether it's Kuzma late in the 20s, who's the guy in Portland from Purdue, Swanigan. You've got Collins with the Hawks. I mean, I wonder if the Wolves made a mistake going Patton over Collins. I mean, so many good rookies so far this year. Well, and Laurie Markkinen has been really good. Like, yeah, I he mean, was the Wolves guy if they had kept the pick. They liked him a lot. The Bulls got skewered for that trade. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. But mm. Markkinen looks like he's the real deal. And I'm everybody knows, everybody in Minnesota knows that Zach Levine is mm-hmm. immensely talented. Now, will he continue to keep developing? What will he be like when he's away on his own? I don't know. But um, I think Laurie Markkinen has acquitted himself very well so far. Uh, the Bulls are a terrible team, and they're headed for a terrible season and in a big rebuild. But... Right now, marketing looks like a win. So um, the only thing is, you know, Markel Fultz. I mean, uh, Jason Tatum looks like he's going to be a terrific contributor to the, for the Celtics from day one. And Markel Fultz is playing weird mind games and, you know, weird injury games. So um, that's, you know, that's the thing. Um, you know, it's, the number one pick in the class is shaky, and the rest of the class looks really good. I mean, Fultz is almost forgotten from my point of view because Simmons has been that good for Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, think you, when you think about Philly, think about this. You know, they have probably the rookie of the year. Probably Simmons is, you know, we're only 10 games in, but Simmons is clearly the best rookie so far. Mm-hmm. Um, they have Joel Embiid, who is one of the most difference-making players in the league. I think we can agree on that. Mm-hmm. And the way they've structured their roster, they're going to have cap space this summer. Now, I'm not so sure whether or not they're going to be able to land a talent, but, you know... If you're looking to buy, <laughs> excuse me, stock in, um, in in teams out there, I mean, I would definitely buy stock in the Celtics. You know, you could get me interested in stock in the Wolves, although stock that I bought last year I wanted to sell. <laughs> um, and um, you could buy stock in the 76ers because they are going to have those guys, um, you know, uh, they're going to have a little bit of a window to, to, to sign guys, you know, one more year. And B's contract kicks in, but... Um, uh, J.J. Redick only signed that one-year deal, so did Amir Johnson. So they are going to have a window where they could theoretically go after a max player um, next year. Now, the, 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 you know, the, the roster of available players has gotten a little bit thinner because you know, Westbrook extended and um, you know, we'll see how things go. But uh, Philly is definitely a team to watch. I mean, who are some of the guys? I mean, LeBron's not going to Philly. Paul George isn't going to Philly. Do they have a realistic chance at, at somebody that's that's legit? Uh, I've been around long enough to never say never. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, Anything. yeah. I mean, I don't think LeBron's going there, right? But I guess maybe Paul George I don't, could go I mean, there. I don't think so, but I mean, <laughs> I've been burned on assuming, on assuming things in the past. So, you know, we'll see. But, um, um, you know... You know, there's there's going to be some opportunities. You know, that you can use cap space in other ways than just signing free agents. Too keep that in mind. That's a good point. Where does Jalil Okafor speaking of Philly? Where does he land? I don't think there's much of a market for him right now. Um, I think at this point, honestly, if you get a second round pick for him, you should do that deal. And that's just, um, and that's not necessarily because he's only worth a second round pick, but everybody in the league knows he's walking at the end of the year from Philly. And if you really wanted him, you might be able to sign him. And um, his rights are only limitedly valuable. But, um, uh, you know, the Sixers misplayed their hand on that because as little as, as recently as a year ago, they probably could have gotten a mid to high first round pick for him. And um, they decided to hold on to him. And, you know, he had more injury problems last year and he just been devalued. The other problem, Darren, is that from what I understand, I am not a draft Nick at all. 
from what I've been told, this class that's coming out of uh, college is a little bit deep in big men. So already you have a whole bunch of teams out there um, who are satisfied with their bigs. Um, and then you have a deep draft class coming. I don't know what kind of market is going to be there for Okafor come next year. And all that leads up to not a lot of value for him in trade. Where does Eric Bledsoe ultimately land? Well, Minnesota, I'm not Minnesota, Milwaukee and um, Denver are the two teams that have been most aggressive and have made uh, offers. Um, there's probably some other teams laying out there in the weeds. There's a couple of teams that want to do three-way deals. <laughs> Cleveland, for example, has interest, you know, sniffed around some three-way deals, but I don't, you know, I always say a three-team trade is a no-team trade. I mean, yeah. uh, um, I, I can list a million three-team ideas that have been pitched that, that don't work. So um, I don't know. I think um, one of the things that I heard back from teams that talked to, to Phoenix initially is that they were asking a heavy price for a player that they have publicly devalued. You know, they've called him a liar which may be true, but still, they've called him a liar. They've said negative things about him. They've said negative things about his agent. They really have handled this in a strange way, and they have devalued their player um, and then um, you know, followed that up by asking a lot for him. So that's not the recipe um, for getting a deal done. The other thing is trade season doesn't start till December 15th because that's when all the guys who were signed last summer can be traded. That's about a third of the league. Not only that, that's about the quarter pole of the season. And that sort of coincides with teams sort of making decisions on their rosters, like what they need and what they want to do. So seeing, I mean, we obviously see significant trades before December 15th. I mean, off the top of my head, I can remember, you know, Chauncey Bills for Allen Iverson happened like right about this time of year, you know, whenever that deal happened. That was one of the big deals early in the season. Um, so it's not unheard of, but we typically don't see significant trades, um, you know, before you know early to mid December. I'll leave you after this. I'll piggyback on on the trade talk. Who are some names that you foresee hitting the trade block as we get into December, into January? Whether it's you know a Jared Dudley in Phoenix, any number of names. I mean, I do think the Wolves they could probably use some more shooting. You know, even though the shooting's been good as we touched on, but I think they can use more shooting. They could use a wing. I mean, I do think the Wolves have Cole Aldrich's deal to dangle at some point. So I'm just trying to think of some names that maybe the Wolves could could have some interest in, in you know, well, four I to know six weeks. If, if I was looking at the Wolves, I was, I I love be I I've liked Bealita since he came in the league, and um, he's making himself some he, money. He's a free agent. I, I mean, I don't know if anybody yeah. will pay him, but but you know, in theory, he's making himself some money. I mean, that's a player that I would have interest in. You know if the Wolves are willing to, uh, to to part with him for a significant package. For example, they, 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 you know, like if I was the Suns and the, and the Wolves called, <coughs> excuse me, that's the guy I'd want. <laughs> uh, I mean, I want some other, <laughs> I want Carl Towns, but I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, like realistically, uh, yeah. of, of the, of the players on Minnesota's roster that I see as prospects, Belitsa is the guy who, um, I really like, I just like how he fits in the modern NBA. I like what he does. Um, I know that he's got some deficiencies, but I don't know. I don't watch every second of Wolves basketball, but when I watch him, maybe I just catch him at good times. He seems to do good things when I watch him. Um, you know, it's, it, it's hard to know. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think even a guy, Tyus Jones has got more value now than he used to. Um, you know, backup point guard. Sometimes there's a market for backup point guards, but I think the Wolves, I don't think that they'd be a big player in the trade market. No, probably um, not. But, I mean, I guess how about, I mean, how many teams, I mean, we touched on the 2018 draft. It's loaded. I mean, how many teams have no interest in winning this year so they might be willing to sell off an asset for, you know, 50 cents on the dollar, whether it, you know, whether it's Phoenix, Chicago, Dallas, Sacramento. There have to be so many teams that have no interest in winning this year. Yeah, and I think the one thing that is 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 a is a big factor going forward is, for the first time in three or four years, um, there's not going to be much cap space out there. Um, and that, that's one of the reasons, I think, why Shabazz Muhammad came back to the Wolves. Mm-hmm. Because he realized that his best chance of getting paid was getting his bird rights back. Yep. And whether or not that actually happens, we'll have to see. But, um, you know, he looked at the market next summer and it's kind of thin. So, again, that's one of the reasons why... You know, if the Wolves wanted to get serious and they're willing to make Bielitsa available, um, not only do you 
acquire Bielitsa, but you acquire his rights. And that's a way that, you know, to control a player. Um, so that you, you know, that if you're a team that's capped out, you don't have that uh, availability. But um, you'd have to get a lot I, for him, I think. I mean, he's he's good. I mean, you know, it helps I, that he's making yeah. shots at a 65 or 68 percent clip so far this year. But to me, Bielitsa helps them. You know, February, March into April. I, to me, well, I, I I don't want to trade Bielitsa. No, I'm just saying, like if you if you're if you're a Wolf fan, you're dreaming up you know trade scenarios. Don't think that you're going to be able to get anything of quality without at least having to say no on him. Sure. Because I think that's... Um, but when you look at, you know, the, who is the league looking at out there? Who are the, Who is everybody watching? People are watching the Pelicans. Um, mm. Because, you know, they're a 500 team, and they're under pressure. And one of the things that's happened is, you know, they have, you know, they've gotten Anthony Davis and... Um, um, Boogie, uh, Boogie playing well together, but they can't get the three of them to play well together with Holiday. And um, you know, the, these Holiday's numbers have not been strong since they since they made that deal. They just haven't been able to figure it out yet. And that's a team that, <clears throat> to use LeBron parlance, is top heavy. You know, so keep an eye there. Um, you know, Davis is untouchable, but. Um, you know, keep an eye there for something that maybe happens, especially if they're at or below 500 as we get into February. That's a team to watch for sure. Brian, get better. We always appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, Darren. Have a good have a good week. Love picking Brian's brain on the NBA. Brian Windhorst of ESPN. Follow his fine work, ESPN.com, all of ESPN's outlets. Let's transition on this pretty much interviews only podcast edition of the Scoop Scoop Podcast episode 107. Here's what you might have missed on a recent episode of the Crafty Rogues podcast. The standout for England is their captain, a young attacking midfielder called Philip. Foden. Is he at Liverpool? No, he's at Manchester City, and he looks awfully good. The England have the England team look good. They have done very well in the last couple of years at, lot, at age. age level. Yeah. 17s, 19s, 20s, 21s. But then 20s, they won't 21s. get on the Premier League team. This is my question. The though. demands of the Premier League are instant results. Who's the best players that are available right now? There's no nurturing of oh, so players. The, then what is the benefit? <clears throat> Clearly, the England development system is working, but... What are they getting out of it? They're getting trophies at youth level, but you're saying as long as the Premier League remains a repository of overseas wealth, it's going to be overseas players who are more likely to so get So they're going to have to go to the MLS, and lucky us will get to see them. All right, fair enough. We'll see. Fair enough. You can find the Crafty Rogues on iTunes or wherever it is you find your podcasts. Download and subscribe today. We transition. We continue the Wolves theme, but we transition to the owner. Hey, never a bad thing to talk to the owner, Glenn Taylor. I had him on the Mackie and Judd show. I filled in for Mackie and Judd on Monday morning. He was on at 11 a.m. I co-hosted with my good buddy Chris Long of Five Eyewitness News. So you'll hear Chris's voice. You'll hear my voice. I started with a question to Glenn. He was on the phone. He was wrapping up something else. So Chris and I kicked off the 11 a.m. hour going back and forth on the last time the Wolves were four games over 500 back in 07 when they were... You know, four games over with Dwayne Casey, you know, 15, 20 games in or whatever it was. Dwayne ended up getting fired at 20 and 20. But before that, it was who? It was, you know, Dwayne Casey leading who? It was KG. It was Trenton Hassel. It was Ricky Davis. It was Mike James. You know, there were a bunch of guys on that team. So we were reminiscing about that particular team. And then Glenn came in and I said, hey, Glenn, do you remember that 07 team, that team that was four games over 500? The last time you were over 500. So here's Glenn's response. Then we picked Glenn's brain on a number of other Wolves topics. Well, I remember a lot about it because that was just a really important part of our history. I mean, we had some we had some great guys on our team. Yeah, I mean, heck, Mark Blunt. Yep. it was right after. No, was it? It was right before you traded KG, but you would have yeah. had Trenton Hassel was a good player. Yeah. That was a good roster. Heck, Dwayne Casey was a good coach for you that year. He was. You know, and then you guys made the move at 20 and 20. Dwayne got let go. Thankfully, Dwayne is, is having success in Toronto. But it is a it is a fun time right now, Glenn. How much are you enjoying this success early on? Oh, I'm enjoying it very much. I mean, it's, um, it's something that uh, we've strived for for a number of years and, and have uh, sort of like using a football thing. We, we fumbled the ball a, a number of times, and, and it just has hurt our our um, total experience. And then all of a sudden we're starting off this year uh, 
instead of losing the the, the close games like we did last year, we're starting off uh, winning the close games, and now it seems like we're you know getting into our own, and they don't all have to be close games. We can we are the better team, and we have to play like it, and and the results have to show that we can win by ten points or twelve points rather than one or two. Before we get too far into the X's and O's and the success on the Kirkland, I want to get the question asked. What's been the response to the changes you guys have made at Target Center? I know just even just driving by, people have noticed, well, wow, it looks completely different. I know the first time I walked in and saw everything, it's it's amazing how much was able to be done in such a short period of time. I think what uh, I hear from just about everybody, they're surprised that that much uh, could change in a building that's been around for a long time. Uh, uh, everybody comments it's so nice, but I think it uh, when they go, went in there and looked at it, they didn't anticipate how nice it looks and the feel of it. And it's, it's actually it feels like a new building. Yeah, I mean the concourses are are wide open. There's a flow. You know, if you're yeah. just going as a fan, I mean, heck, just everything about it, Glenn, is is a plus. And I felt the same thing. I've had you know several tours as they were remodeling it but uh had an, another one when they um, were just about going to complete it and, and you're right i mean for some reason or another it just seems like it's brighter wider uh more open and then you know the, the the arena itself the seats and everything are just very comfortable and and you just feel great being there what's the biggest change on the court now obviously the the faces have changed and what is the biggest from your standpoint difference in the mannerisms and the characterization of this year's team compared to as let's just compare it to last year's team. Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm exactly right, but to, to answer your question, I think the big difference is last year when we got down, we had a lot of close games, we played well, but I think when we got into let's just call it the last three minutes of the game, I just think our uh, young guys lost confidence in themselves. And what I see this year is uh, that. Somehow, when we get uh, down to that last three minutes, we have confidence that we can win. Now, I know you know some of that is Crawford and and, and Jimmy, uh, you know, uh, being out there on the floor and and they do that. But I think it extends to uh, also uh, Towns and Wiggins, you know, and and of course, uh, um, and I think all the players that somehow they just have confidence that we're going to win this. And I think you can, as you watch the players and look at their faces, I think it. Uh, I see that expression. Glenn, how much of a delight is Jimmy? I mean, I'm looking at use, usage rate. He's fifth. I mean, he is deferring a lot. Now, you know, at the end of whether it was the Miami game or you name the game, you know, he'll take the ball, he'll want the ball, he'll take the big shot. But he's deferring a ton to your younger guys. I wasn't expecting that. He's just uh, a... <laughs> A complete wonderful person. I mean, uh, I knew he was a great athlete, and you know, I've watched him and stuff like that. But obviously, I hadn't talked to him before; didn't know him. The coach shared a lot with me and said, "No, this is the way you're going to find that he will be, Glenn, once you meet him." But I think to all of us fans, we see that out there that he he himself probably could score more, he could do more, and at this point of the of the season, he's trying to build confidence uh, in the young guys, and he's just. Um, you know, uh, passing off sometimes when he doesn't need need to. My guess as the season goes along, uh, as they get them established, if he feels he's the best guy to win the game, that he'll do that. I just think he's a winner, and and he won't um, he won't take the chance of losing. Do you need that guy in that locker room with a coach? And I, and this is going to sound negative, and I don't mean it that way. A coach that that is like. Tom Thibodeau, who who can push hard and can really build a, a pressure cooker in a player's own mind, how important is it to have that Jimmy Butler there to sort of serve as that at that release valve that can sort of help? Def- I don't want to say get players ignoring the coach, but just to sort of be that release in the locker room with the way he carries himself. What I would share with you is that um, that uh, tips say that that's helpful for him, but also. Um, my other coaches, uh, Rick, you know, and uh, the, each of the coaches that I have had have also said how important that has been. So I just really believe that even though they're great coaches and uh, and um, can lead the team, that they all want that support of a veteran player in that locker room. There's just something like it's a different voice 
coming from a different direction that the young guys hear. So uh, I'm not just leaving it up to Tibbs, but I'm just saying the other mm-hmm. uh, uh, great coaches that I've had have said the same thing. Glenn, you briefly touched on Jamal. How about the bench as a whole? When's yeah. the last time you guys had a really good bench, a bench as good as this one? It's five deep. <laughs> well, let's just say a long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastic. I mean, Bielitsa, I guess it's the motivation of being in a contract year. Whatever it is, Bielitsa doesn't miss. You've got Crawford, the way Tyus Jones is playing right now. Had Gorgie Jang had a good game last night. He'll eventually figure out his new role. Shabazz Muhammad will play better than he has. You think about your bench, Glenn, it goes five, six deep. And this is really important because when I look at a lot of the teams that we're going to play, that we're going to be competitive to a playoff position, um, one of the areas I see that we perhaps might be stronger is the bench than some of these teams. And we got to take advantage of that um you know, 15 minutes or, or 18 minutes while they're in the game to not only hold it, but to pull ahead. I think, you know, last year and the couple of years before that, we just kind of said, well, just so we don't lose too much <laughs> while the, the, the subs are in there. But I don't think this year we want to play even. I think it's really important that, as we've seen in um, probably uh, two of the last four games, that the bench has come in and actually showed more energy than the starters and really got the the game turned around, and then when the starters came back in, they just carried that through. So I think that's what you should expect of your bench, and I think we have the guys to do it, and we look forward, you know, that they'll do it in the future. One guy that will eventually be added to your bench is rookie Justin Patton. How is Patton doing? Well, it's just a long process. I mean, uh, you know, he got hurt within an hour after we signed him. And you see this young man, and he seems like a terrific young man, but I want to see him out there. I just think, personally, I think it would be important that he, uh, the doctors give him the okay to get out there and, and play. And then we send him down to the G League, and he shows down there, you know, how good he can be, but he also gets himself in shape. I mean, I, I've, I've just seen this over the years. Guys say they're in shape. You know, and they think they are from just practicing by themselves. But until you get out in the court and run up and down and chasing the guys, I don't think you find out what shape you're in. So I would, you know, love to get him down there, love to have him show his talents down there and then bring him back and gradually incorporate him, you know, into the game. Timberwolves owner Glenn Taylor on with me, Chris Long, and Darren Wilson filling in for Mackie and Judd here this morning. Glenn, just as last year when there was a sense that something was building, you didn't want to focus too hard on the standings. Uh, it was about the process, which we hear a lot in sports. But are you taking that stance now when you break open the newspaper and you look at the standings and your guys are second in the West? I mean, it's 10 games in. It's not a small sample size, but do you have to have a little reserve and not get too excited? Or do you kind of look at that and say, here we go? Well, I think just my nature is to be a little reserved because a lot of things can happen. I mean, we've we uh, we've been fortunate enough, other than uh, Jimmy being sick two games, which probably hurt us. But uh, we haven't had the injuries. Those things can happen so fast and change things so fast. So I think you've you've got to prepare yourself for that because every time one of our guys falls <laughs> falls or gets hit uh, fouled really hard, you know, I I remember Ricky and I remember you know the different players that have got hurt in our team and how that has just changed it overnight. So that part I keep. But on the other hand, I'm really positive that <clears throat> I'm looking at the next ten games. You know, just as we all do, and just say, is it possible in the next ten games that we might be uh, seven and three? You know, uh, seven wins and three losses in the next ten games. I mean, I'm trying to have a positive attitude, and if we can do that, that'll keep us right up there at the top. You know, with some other uh, terrific teams. I-, I talked about Target Center earlier. You guys have won five of the six games you've played at home this year. I remember what it was like in that building, and Darren, you remember it too when the team was at the peak when and during Kevin Garnett's MVP year and during that run to the Western Conference Finals. Are you starting to sense that it's going to take some time to get back to that point? That was an amazing building. That was an unbelievable environment when it built to a fever pitch. Are you sensing that, that you're at least inching, if not taking large strides toward making Target Center? Uh, you know, Again, I'm just looking at the record, 5-1, and one, and sure that's a product of some of who you've played, but it's starting to become a tough place to play again. Well, it, we've got to have that. I mean, you you have to start out by winning at your home, and you and part of it is the crowd behind you. I mean, we certainly saw that with the Lynx, as uh, you know, we grew the 
that fan base up there and the, the noise and the level and the enthusiasm and stuff like that, that carries over to the players. So we have to win at home. That's that's the first thing. So if we can win at home, and then you you look at you know the the Eastern um, teams that we we believe are probably not as strong as the Western teams. So we have to go on the road and win our share over there, and then we have to uh, look at the Western teams uh, on a way, and we have to be lucky in a few games. You know, like we were down at Oklahoma, where we play a terrific team, but uh, but we play very well and and we beat them, and that's how you get yourself you know, high in the, the playoffs. And, and uh, you know, ideally, I know nobody's picking us to be in the top four, but ideally, uh, that's got to be our goal, to have home court advantage. Glenn, is this about the time when trade dialogue picks up, and are you open to adding some long-term money, you know, just based on the success of the team early on here, if you can add, you know, a contract that maybe is an extra year or two, so it's more long-term money, are you open to that? Well, we're open to everything that would make our team better. But I would say in our particular situation, we we know that uh, uh, Towns is coming up for a renewal next year, and we know that Jimmy in, in, in a couple years. So, I mean, it isn't just as simple of adding right now. We've got to look down the road in two or three years to keep this team together. And whatever decisions we make um, can't be just uh, for this year, but it's got to be that that we want to have a very good team that has a chance to win the championship, you know. And what we're talking about is when we signed uh, Wiggins to, you know, a five-year contract, and he's playing this year. So, you know, we're talking about six or ten years. We want to be very competitive. So we have to look at that also. Did you watch Lindsey Whalen with KG last week? I did. <laughs> I, I did just because I, uh, you know, it was advertised that uh, she was going to be there. Of course, she's one of my favorite mm-hmm. uh, uh, basketball players. And so we made a point, Becky and I made a point of uh, tuning in. And it was fun to watch uh, them all together and see KG in, in his uh, his uh, special humor that he has. And then uh, the women whom, you know, we all know because we watched that. And it was just, mm-hmm. A fun event to watch. Are we moving closer to having KG's jersey up in the rafters? I, I you know, for our part, we have invited um, KG uh, to do that uh, numerous times. So I think it's just uh, waiting for KG to feel when he's comfortable of doing that. For whatever reason, uh, he's, you know, been a little bit silent on that issue. But, I, you know, I'm sure it'll happen. But it's just uh, we're not pushing but we're sure have told them that the door is wide open, and we look forward to that time. And the China trip, a success? Did you get some business over there, too? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I did. <laughs> well, I did. You're right. It wasn't all basketball, but uh, for me, it was uh, mostly business. We had an NBA um, board meeting, uh, China board meeting and stuff like that, met with our Chinese partners. Then I also spent some time with my uh, partner in uh, owning the Timberwolves and spent with him and his family and and then we did some other business uh, things, too. So uh, it was fun to watch the team. Uh, I used uh, that time to um, uh, talk to the whole team on kind of a team event and stuff like that and, and spend a little time with each individual player. So I thought it was a very productive uh, time and very enjoyable. And, my, and I, you know, most of my partners in the Timberwolves went on the trip, too. So that was, you know, fun just to share uh, a fun time with them. Glenn, always appreciate your time. Wednesday should be fun. You guys at the Golden State Warriors. Well, we uh, we sh- we played them over in China, and we did beat them in one game over there. But I <clears throat> I know that in their home court, it's going to be t- a lot tougher. But uh, it isn't like uh, I'm just going to concede uh, that they're going to beat us. I, I just think that uh, if we have uh, a terrific game, that we can match up with them pretty good. But it's going to probably be a high-scoring game. Wolves owner Glenn Taylor. He's talked about retiring KG's jersey before, but always nice to get the update. It's on KG. It's on KG to say, yes, I'm a Glenn. You know, pretty much time heals all wounds. Maybe not all, but most wounds. So eventually, it might be two years from now, four years from now, but I have a hard time believing that KG's number 21 won't be hanging from the Raptors at some point in the near future. We'll catch up with Twins GM Thad Levine. In just a second, but first, some love for Running Tap, running-tap.com online. Use the promo code THESCOOP002, THESCOOP002, for $20 off your next purchase of $30 or more. Running Tap delivers beer from tap rooms right to you, right to your doorstep. They deliver on Sundays, too. Hey, no upcharge. 
Whatever it costs to deliver on, say, Saturday, it's the same as Sunday. So seven days a week. Think about all the good beer being produced in so many different tap rooms, over 150 tap rooms at breweries across the state. A lot of those places, heck, all of them for the most part, are producing fine-tasting beer, but oftentimes none of us get to taste that fine-tasting beer. Well, Running Tap will go pick up that beer. They will bring it to you. So if you're into the local beer scene, if you want some of the local beer delivered right to you, Running Tap will do that. Running-tap.com for more information. Again, use the promo code THESCOOP002. THESCOOP002 for $20 off your next purchase of $30 or more. That is one heck of a deal. Again, the website for more information, running-tap.com. We talked with Thad Levine on the Mackey and Judd show on Monday morning. Again, I was filling in for Mackey and Judd. We had Thad Levine on at 1030. That was before the Twins made the Derek Shelton news official, but Derek Shelton finalizes their coaching staff. We didn't necessarily get into the coaching staff search just because I don't know if any hire would have really moved the needle. It's good. I've heard good things about Shelton, but I'm not quite sure it moves the needle much. Here's what fans really care about, at least what I sense, is what are the Twins going to do for on the field when it comes to personnel, players, trades, free agent signings? So we got into that. We got into Miguel Sano, some other things. So here is Thad Levine. And again, I was co-hosting with Chris Long. So you hear Chris's voice. Here's Thad Levine from Monday morning on 1500 ESPN with myself, with Chris Long. There is no such thing as an offseason. I mean, I'm just trying to think about your day today. Thankfully, you carved out some time for us, Thad, but... You know, whether it's interviewing, you know, coaching candidates, you guys have a have an opening on your coaching staff. You know, you're trying to hire a trainer. You've got 40-man roster decisions. Heck, free agency starts later today. I mean, if you wanted to, you could sign a free agent later today. There is a lot going on right now. Uh, you're absolutely right. I think, I think when the season ends is actually when our jobs start ramping up a little bit more. Uh, we start getting right into staffing discussions. Most of our staffs contracts expire on October 31st. And so we start extending our existing group. We talk, start talking about internal promotions. And then we, we sift out and see where the openings still lie. And one that was unexpected, as you just mentioned, was the bench coach. And so we thought we had uh, put together our entire staff when we hired Garvin Alston. But then lo and behold, uh, Ron Garden hire had some other ideas. And so he recruited Joe Vavra to join him. And so now we are interviewing for bench coaches concurrent to meeting with our pro scouts and talking about the upcoming free agent class, which as you mentioned, uh, we'll hit the ground running on uh, five o'clock Eastern today. And we are start talking to other teams about trades. And in the meantime, we're, we're also trying to put together a medical staff at the major league and minor league level. So we got a lot going on, but these are exciting times for the Minnesota twins. Fed, when you say hitting the ground running at five Eastern four central with free agency later today, is there a guy, I mean, you guys were aggressive last November, wasn't exactly like the first day or two, but Jason Castro, you guys got him done in November. You know, if you want to drop a name or two, that's great. But in general terms, is there a free agent that you guys will be uber aggressive on starting later today? I will wink vigorously if you mention the right name. <laughs> we got to fire up our yeah. web. Let's Skype then. <laughs> Can we Skype? Yes. In, uh, in all practicality, I think last year was a little bit unique in so much as we had identified catching as a specific area of need. And then once you do that, there just was such a finite number of what we felt were uh, well above average competitive advantage catchers on the market. And so that led us down a path of really focusing our attention on Jason Castro. So this offseason, I don't know that we have that highly specific a need that is in a group of players that will be that small of a pool. So you know, it's it's no secret we're going to be pursuing uh, pitching this offseason, both on the starting and relieving side. It's just there are a lot more options out there, whether it be through trade or through free agency. So I don't think we're going to do anything highly as specific this offseason. That is Chris Long here. What do you guys, and not just you, what does baseball as a whole take from what the Houston Astros have been able to do over the course of the last six years? I mean, they go from, I think it was, what, 300 lost seasons in a row and I was looking at their 2013 roster. They had one guy making over a million a year in 2013. The the fact that this idea that baseball should take and does take and can take a long time to turn things around, they are obviously at the forefront of showing how quickly things can be turned around. And what your team accomplished this year shows that. But what do you take from the state of baseball with what the Astros have done over the last five, six years? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, you got to tip your hat to Jeff Lunau and Reed Ryan and 
and the ownership group over there, I think they, they did a tremendous job. You know, it's easy to say that uh, they had 300 lost seasons and they got to pick high in the draft. But as we all know, uh, it's not easy making the right decision, even when you're picking towards the top end. And on top of that, they did very well in the trade markets uh, and specifically highly targeted trades that they made. And they put together a championship caliber team. And I think they deserve a ton of credit for that. I think we saw a little bit of that last year from the Chicago Cubs, who had also had a few down seasons to turn turn their franchise around. I think when Derek and I present to Jim Polad and the Polad family uh, our plans for how we could turn the Twins around, we were trying to do it without necessarily having to endure the low end of what the Cubs and the Houston Astros experienced. You know, those multiple hundred lost seasons, those really do take a toll on your fan base. Uh, and what's more is I think Major League Baseball through the, the, this most recent CBA has put some uh, rules in place that really truncate the true upside value of finishing that low in the standings. Yeah. Uh, the pools internationally and domestically in the amateur markets have now been a little bit more normalized such that it's a little bit less favorable to those teams that, that finish towards the bottom of the standings. So for all those reasons, I don't know that that's a, a model that we would emulate just from a sure sustained losing standpoint. But the flip side is their talent evaluation has been very successful. Their, their development of their players has been very successful and they've, they've been as uh, on much on the forefront of sports science and analytics as any team. So there's a lot to emulate in those markets. I just were hopeful to do it absent of having multiple hundred lost seasons in a row. Thad, how much of the plan that you and Derek presented to the poll ads now has gone sideways a bit based on the success you had this year. You know, I mean, now do you say, okay, we weren't going to be uber aggressive on the free agent front or trading our prospects for, you know, for, for established players, you know, on the trade market front. But now that we've made the playoffs, the bar has been raised that much more, that we have to be that much more aggressive this particular offseason? Well, I think you guys just talked about it. We were in Houston just a couple of years ago, only had one player on their team that, that was earning a million dollars or more. And, and I think that's just a huge distinction between what we felt the 2016 loss, uh, you know, the 100 loss Minnesota Twins type team versus those Houston 100 loss type teams. The distinction being that there just was so much more talent uh, on the, the Minnesota Twins club. So when we talked to ownership about it, we talked about the fact that we didn't think we were as far away as your traditional 100 loss team would be. So I think the season we just experienced that the Minnesota Twins had was not all that out of line with what we thought they were capable of. Now, admittedly, they probably won a few more games than we were expecting, but I, I think it was coupled with the fact that there was that second tier of American League teams that really didn't fulfill their promise. And there were a lot of teams that were supposed to be vying for playoff spots between Toronto, Texas, Seattle, Tampa, Kansas City, and maybe even to a lesser extent Detroit all of whom, for whatever reason, uh, did not. And so I think our team gets credit for for really realizing its potential, but also making the most of the opportunity that the rest of the American League presented to itself. So in terms of our plan and where we are in it, I certainly, you know, we wouldn't stand before you and say that our expectation was to make the playoffs in 2017. That was a, a very positive outcome, as much as the previous year was probably a very anomalous uh, negative outcome but we're, we're going to, we are going to accelerate our plans a little bit. You know, I think Derek and I both believe in the fact that when you have an opportunity to compete at the highest level, don't take that for granted. Just because we made the playoffs last year, we're not entitled to make the playoffs next year. Just because we saw the progress of a lot of our young players in 2017 doesn't mean that each of those guys will progress again in 2018. So we intend to invest this offseason. Ownership is supportive of those investments. Uh, and, you know, that could start as early as this afternoon, but we're, we're starting to have conversations with clubs uh, and we will start having conversations with agents alike to find out the best economical way for us to help the 2018 Minnesota Twins. It's pitching first and foremost, but could you pursue a bat? Is there the potential there of, of going after maybe some sort of DH or maybe somebody that's got some flexibility, DH first base? Well, you know, I, I think one thing that I've learned potentially sometimes the hard way in my career is when you think you have a unit on your team that's particularly strong, it's probably actually the time to double down on that unit, not take it for granted. Mm -hmm. So I think while the pitching will be our focus this offseason, I don't think it will be to the exclusion of being creative on the offensive standpoint. 
I think it will be important for us to continue to explore those. Now, the bar is a little bit higher on the offensive side in terms of ways we can improve the club. One way we're, we're really excited about improving the club is we get Miguel Sano back. You know, we, we missed him for the last quarter of the season. That was pretty significant. There's no off-season free agent that we're going to be able to add that could have the impact that he could have. So he comes back to the team, which is, should be a big boon for us next year. But we'll continue to have conversations with other clubs, whether through trade or through free agency, to, to try to augment what we feel is a very strong unit on our team. J.D. Martinez, Carlos Santana, they're pretty good, but I'm with you. Yeah, nobody's matching Sano. On Sano, is the surgery later this week? And I suppose that was really last ditch. You were hoping that maybe rest, relaxation might solve the issue, but you had to go ahead and, and go ahead with the surgery? It's, it's a unique situation in so much as the recovery time is about eight weeks. So it gave us a little bit more of a runway at the beginning of the offseason to continue to explore every means aside from surgery, which is really the approach you have. Uh, in, in all injuries in, in baseball, is you, you try to avoid surgery if you can. Uh, we had a little bit more time to work with with Miguel, but now that we've gotten into the, the beginning of November, our, our thought is we need to get this done so that he has every opportunity to be full go in spring training. So that was kind of the deadline that we had put in was mid-November. He's getting the surgery done November 13th, next Monday, in, in New York uh, by a very talented specialist. He'll spend a week or two in, in New York for post-operative visits, and then he'll start his rehab program immediately thereafter. Is that rehab program at all based in the Dominican, or will it be here? Will it be in New York? We're, we're still having conversations. His agent's name is Kyle Thousand. He's been a great partner for us through this process, and uh, we are going to try to steer him as best we can to our complexes in the Dominican and in Fort Myers, and the agent's fully on board with that. I do think they'll be required to you know visit New York periodically to visit with the surgeon but outside of that our our hope and expectation is he'll be spending most of the offseason at one of our two complexes twins general manager thad levine on here with us it's darren wolfson i'm chris long filling in for mackie and judd i read an article that it was from jonah carey and, and the headline said mlb teams have no clue about managers we're talking about all these moves you guys are going to make going forward i think i could certainly make the argument that you've made your largest offseason move uh, in, in retaining Paul Molitor, a move that I and most of us figured with what the team accomplished this year was a foregone conclusion. But then in the weeks since, we've seen Dusty Baker, John Farrell, Joe Girardi all let go after what are unquestionably, well, not unquestionably, uh, measurably successful runs. Uh, do you feel that it's almost too easy to say, well, they made this move because it's stability with Paul Molitor, but you talked about it after the move, just the fact that he's the right guy for this team. Uh, you know, No one gave real specific reasons why Baker Farrell and Girardi were let go, but you guys were pretty good about giving specific reasons why you retained Paul. Well, you know, it's, you, there, there's a lot of things embedded in, in your comments there, but not the least of which was, I don't know if I've ever seen in my career so much coaching changes, managers and otherwise, on teams that made the playoffs. Right. These were the teams that presumably had successful campaigns in 2017. And by and large, I think we looked up at one point, and I think six or seven of the pitching coaches for the 10 teams for that made the playoffs were, were leaving their posts. I mean, it was absolutely remarkable. There was the, the quality of pitching coaches that were on the market this offseason reminded me of, I think it was 10 to 12 years ago, when uh, offense had been kind of suppressed in the game and everybody let their hitting coach go. Now all of a sudden offense is, is climbed back up the ladder and everyone's letting their pitching coaches go. But yeah, so there, it's a remarkable turn of events this offseason relative to the talented, experienced men who have been on the marketplace uh, from a coaching perspective. But I think our feeling was very, very succinct. I mean, when we, we, we talked all along that we were going to address uh, Paul's situation come season's end, uh, you know, once the, the playoff game came and went, uh, Derek and I were sitting in Paul's office in New York and we said, hey, we want to sit down with you tomorrow and talk about uh, you coming back. So we literally, I, I think he had gone and done his press conference and the whole bit, but that was about it. He was still sitting in his uniform and we had the conversation true to what we had said that we wanted to wait till season's end. But yeah. it really was not a conversation that we, you, we were very convicted about that for, for all the reasons you mentioned. Paul is been leading this team to, to where it's, you know, where it's achieved. It's an amazing turnaround. He has a great rapport with the players. Uh, I think he utilizes the resources around him to the best of his ability to make in-game decisions. And, you know, I think one thing that was a little bit lost in the shuffle this year was 
how masterfully he handled our position player team. Mm-hmm. I think the, the guys get a ton of credit for progressing. I think James Rousen gets a ton of credit for helping them from the offensive side. But I think Paul's ability to put these guys in positions to succeed was significant. I mean, we looked at it at the end of the season, and our, of our starting nine, only two hitters didn't hit third or fourth for us. That was Jason Castro and Brian Dozier, ironically, who may have had our best offensive season. Paul mixed and matched throughout the course of our lineup, up and down, and, and you know we really had 12 or 13 at times position players in the full rotation. He kept all those guys engaged. I think Paul did a masterful job with that. And then on the other side of the coin, he managed 36 different pitchers throughout the course of the year and took those. That's unbelievable. That, that 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 in and of itself probably at least earns you a a, a free bowl of soup, if not a, <laughs> a a an extension. So what what he was able to accomplish on both sides of the ball in, in the backdrop of what, as I mentioned earlier, was a wide open American League, and we were the team who seized that opportunity when you know no, nobody was really picking us to do that. I think he deserves a ton of credit for that. Twins GM Thad Levine. That will wrap up Scoop Podcast episode 107, interviews only. Thad Levine, Glenn Taylor, Brian Windhorst. So we got to a lot here in just over 60 minutes, just over one hour. Be sure to check out the sponsors of the Scoop Podcast, Vine Park Brewing, vinepark.com online, Vine Park Brewing in St. Paul, plus Running Tap, running-tap.com. They will deliver beer from tap rooms like Vine Park, other local tap rooms, right to your living room they deliver seven days a week yes that includes sundays so be sure to check out their website for more running tap.com again the plan is for later in the week a news and notes podcast episode 108 plus ryan carter should be on that episode if i dub it over sat down with him for a tv interview late last week he was fantastic the pride of white bear lake the pride of minnesota state mankato the former wild player he was fantastic on retiring after 10 years in the nhl what's next some of his favorite memories, so it was a fun conversation. So whether that's episode 108 or 109, I can promise you Ryan Carter will be on a future Scoop podcast. Appreciate you checking out podcast episode, Scoop podcast episode 107. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.